This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Welcome to March, basketball fans. That's right. It is our favorite time of the year. It's March Madness, and we are excited, delighted to have you uh, tuning in with us. You have downloaded, listening to, clicked on, whatever you're doing. You are now listening to Around the Rim. We are ESPNW's Women's Basketball Podcast. My name is LaChina Robinson. I am joined, as always, by my fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And we have a great show for you. It is March. It is the madness. So we're excited uh, to talk about conference tournaments, Champ Week, and all that's going on. We've got a couple of hot topics we're going to touch on as well. Um, but just want to start off saying thank you so much for listening to Around the Rim. Um, you can download us on the ESPN app. You can also subscribe on iTunes. You can tweet us on Twitter, hashtag Around the Rim. I am at LaChina Robinson on Twitter. And Tarika is at she knows sports underscore. And she does know sports. Um, so just as we start this podcast, wanted to give you guys a rundown. Um, Tarika and I are going to put our own thoughts on the Candace Wiggins situation and um, lay that to rest. Unfortunately, you know, we weren't able to record a show previously, so we are going to just kind of put a bow on it as I know it's getting a little old now. Um, and then we're going to talk to Michelle Vopel about some comments from Kim Mulkey you probably heard about. Um, Vopel's done outstanding work on both the Wiggins side as well as everything that um, was swirling around Kim Mulkey. So we'll be happy to have Michelle Vopel. If you're not following her, if you're, or you're not reading Michelle's articles, you're missing out. She does an outstanding job. Uh, the history of our game would not be told or is held together or um, – we just wouldn't know a lot of things if it wasn't for Michelle's writing. So we appreciate her. And then I'm excited because we did, we did something new on the show. Um, in the second half and the third quarter, we have, we're talking about the not power five conferences. So we decided just to pick out some conferences that we don't get to talk about very often on the show. We are very top 25 heavy. I will admit that on around the rim. And so we wanted to take a chance and uh, just talk a little bit, take some time to talk a little bit about some other conferences. And to do that, we have some of the bright faces in basketball analyst world. That's right. We've got Angel Gray. We've got uh, Megan Perry. We have Steffi Sorensen. We have um, Julianne Viani, and then we have a veteran in the game and one of my favorite people, Christy Winter-Scott. So that'll be a fun time. And, um, yeah, so buckle up. We thank you guys for joining us. And with that, Tarika is going to start us off with the first quarter. First quarter. So we are going to start off the first quarter talking um, about an issue that we've been hearing about over the last week. And it's caused quite a stir in the WNBA world and women's basketball world when former player Candace Wiggins made some comments to the San Diego Union Tribune where she basically described the WNBA um, as being very, very harmful to her. Um, saying that she was bullied for being heterosexual and her exact comments were uh, me being heterosexual and straight and being vocal in my identity as a straight woman was huge. She also told the Union Tribune that I would say 98% of the women in the WNBA are gay women. It was a conformist type of place. There was a whole different set of rules that the other players could apply. Um, and nobody cares about the WNBA. Viewership is minimal. Ticket sales are very low. They give away tickets and people don't come to the game. The China. <laughs> yes. So basically, um, you know, I, I, I initially didn't feel the need to really say anything on these comments because I didn't play in the league. Um, and so, you know, I felt like if she want, if this was an expression of how she felt her experience was as a player, I didn't feel like I was really in position to talk about that. I thought the players did a fantastic job of providing their perspective. Nobody's saying who's wrong, who's right. Candace is expressing what she felt like her experience was, and that's fine. Um, but it seemed like there were a number of players, um, every player I saw, that kind of felt like their experience was opposite of that. Um, if you haven't checked out some other perspectives, um, Amani Boyette, Dev Peters, 
um, has been fantastic and on top of things. Lasia Clarendon. I know Marissa Coleman has been very vocal. Who else have you seen? Um, oh, Neko Gumake did release a statement. She's obviously the new president of the Players Association. So her word carries a lot of weight. Brianna Stewart. I thought she has been, I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you, that young woman, mm-hmm. whatever has ha- transpired in her four years at Connecticut, because I did her very first interview her freshman year, like after her biggest her biggest game that year, which wasn't until the ace, the uh, Big East tournament. She she was so shy. And how far she's come in being a voice for the game. So anyway, but long story short, you know, and Tariq and I will, will kind of give our perspective. You know, my thing is this. I was mad at the media. I was mad at the media, okay? I have never seen so many WNBA tweets, stories, references in all my entire life. Not when we had a fantastic finals last year. Not about Neka Gumake being this MVP out of nowhere. Not how awesome Candace uh, Parker's story has been. Not the dynasty of the Minnesota Lynx. I mean, not how, how amazing Deladon is. Not, Del- not the Deladon trade. I mean, come on. Okay. Not anything, not not the growth in viewership, not the 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 growth in in the online clicks for you know the the desire, the fans showing up saying, "Hey, we want more WNBA." None of that. They wait until some controversy happens, and and they want to talk about the WNBA. Stop it! It's disgusting. These women deserve better. And on top of that, the people that did report it. They only told one side, oh, hey, this is what Candace Wiggins said. Well, do a little research. You know, regardless of what your opinion is on the matter, cover these women like they deserve to be covered. It's a two-side story, and that was really my biggest gripe of it. Do better, media. Like, do better. Tarika? I totally agree with you there. And, I mean, you can even transfer that over into what we'll discuss in the second quarter, which is the Kim Mulkey situation, where there's so much, so much, so much talk about it now, but you don't hear women's basketball being discussed in any form, really, of these same major media companies. So I definitely get where you're coming from there. For me, it was more so of of three things. Number one, no one is going to dispute whether or not this was truly your experience because no one can tell you what you did or didn't experience but you and the people who you experienced with. But I think what kind of gets it confusing is when you try to equate your personal experience with the entire league. I didn't see one tweet. I didn't see one interview or I didn't hear one player come out to corroborate her story. And what that says to me is that there are more people than you may know that does not feel the same way that you feel or they are just totally keeping to this society where it's this is our business and this is what goes on in our locker room stays in our locker room so we're not gonna air our dirty laundry but it was one of the other and I just kind of think that we too often do that where we equate something that we experienced as something that everybody does it I mean how often are you engaged in conversation and you hear oh everybody's saying it but really it's just the two or three people who you talk to that are saying it it's not really everyone so I think that was one of the biggest things for me and the other thing for me is that the WNBA just celebrated 20 years and it was an outstanding 20th season and I think that this kind of thing puts a damper on all of that everything that was accomplished last season is and with the things that you mentioned as far as how dynamic the WNBA finals was how many people start to turn their attention to the WNBA and I mean, getting a new president with Lisa Borders and there were so many things that put PR on the WNBA in a in a positive perspective that this kind of thing just kind of takes away from all of that. And I think that if you are a former player in the league, your love for women's basketball and your love for some of the players who maybe didn't put you in a in a harmful situation or that you didn't feel bullied by who may still be playing I feel like you at least owe it to them to keep the league positive and not put so much negativity on that because you still have people who are playing in it and there are still young women and young girls who are still looking at this league and aspire to be a part of it and the last thing that's needed in order to help grow this game is to have people who are once a part of it to speak negatively about it when there isn't enough positivity told about it in the first place so that's kind of where where i got from it but i'm just glad that those who were a part of it you know just kind of came out and said look that's not my experience that's not what you know what we're all about and, and we're a group of dynamic women and we'll continue to be that way 
Yeah, I mean, we saw people even coming out of the woodwork. Delisha Milton-Jones, I believe, had some comments on it. And so it was interesting just to see, you know, thank goodness for social media because the media wasn't going to cover all sides of this. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what disappointed me the most. But you make some very valid points. And, you know, obviously, as far as some of the uh, things that Candace said about the league in general, whether it's, first of all, the 98 percent, you know, gay or whatever she said I mean that's just that's just something if you don't know what you're talking about you, you don't say it you mm-hmm. know and so that part was just not true um unless someone is doing a census report that we don't know about um, right. but uh, something yeah um but also you know I know when she was talking about how the league was struggling and things like that I just thought that there was a better way to express what she was trying to express um, that didn't bring such negativity uh, to the WNBA and some statements that, according to most of the players, sound like they were they were false for the most part. So it was a minority and not a majority opinion. But anyway, long story short, um, you can tweet us, hashtag around the rim if you have thoughts um, on this topic. But we are moving on from Candace Wiggins and we are moving into the second quarter to talk about Kim Mulkey. Second quarter, inside the huddle. All right, fans, we want to start off by addressing the very recent and controversial comments surrounding Baylor basketball coach Kim Mulkey. After winning the Big 12 championship, she addressed some of the criticism that the school has received in regards to uh, the recent allegations of sexual assault and how some of the administration and those in the athletic department handled that situation And she appeared to be a bit frustrated and her message to the crowd uh, in regards to addressing the comments that some in the media have made as to saying that they would never send their daughters to Baylor was that if someone had said to them that they wouldn't send their daughters to Baylor, that they should punch them in the face. And of course, those comments didn't sit well with uh, members of the media, didn't sit well with the victims. They just kind of felt that it was a comment that was very insensitive and and unempathetic to those who are dealing with uh, the unfortunate events that has surrounded Baylor University over the last year or so. Um, At the press conference to follow the game, she continued uh, her thoughts and opinion in regards to the issues surrounding the school, which also are pretty controversial. And we'll take a listen to what Kim Mulkey had to say. I'm tired of people talking on it on a national scale that don't know what they're talking about. If they didn't sit in those meetings and they weren't a part of the investigation, you're repeating things that you've heard. It's over. It's done. And this is a great institution. And I would send my daughter here and I'd pay for anybody else's daughter to come here. I work here every day. I'm in the know. And I'm tired of hearing it. This is a great institution. The problems we have at Baylor are no different than the problems at any other school in America. Period. Move on. Find another story to write. Very, very strong words, LaChina. Thank you, Tarika. And the comments she she made prior to the press conference were, if somebody around you is around you and they say, I will never send my daughter to Baylor, you knock them right in the face. Um, She said that to the crowd that was there. Um, Obviously, Baylor fans, Baylor Bear fans that are in the crowd on Saturday. She said, because these kids are on this campus, I work here. My daughter went to school here, and it's the damn best school in America. Um, So to just get this conversation going, we want to welcome in Michelle Vopel of ESPN, WESPN, whatever you want to say. She's women's basketball. Like, honestly, we would not have any coverage in the sport that was legit if it was not for Michelle Vopel. So welcome to the show, Michelle. And I just wanted to follow this up because you had a conversation with Kim Mulkey after this, and you wrote another piece where she seemed to change her tone about these comments. Can you just give us some insight into that conversation? Yeah, Lachana, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Um, just because I think a lot of people who are going to be listening to this podcast are very familiar with sort of the long history of different things at Baylor, um, I want to touch on a little bit of, you know, my relationship with Kim at times has been rocky. 
because she hasn't liked everything I've written, and particularly going back to the the punch between Brittany Griner and Jordan Barncastle uh, back in 2010 and Brittany's freshman year, I you know wrote a column saying that I thought Brittany you know needed to sit out um, a certain number of games and that it was just something that you know shouldn't happen regardless of what was said to her um, during the game. And that was something like I felt Kim felt like I hadn't reached out to her to hear her point of view. And so I understood what she was saying. I don't know that um, I would have changed what I wrote, uh, but I did understand what she was saying. And I've always had that in my mind of before I write a column, I always try to reach out to somebody. Uh, you know, with the Candace Wiggins situation, before I wrote anything last week, I tried to reach out. I did, you know, reach out to Candace to try to talk to her. So that's sort of the background of why I wanted to hear what Kim had to say rather than just react to her comments. We had a long conversation where she was very emotional and passionate about her anger toward um, what's happened at Baylor, toward the people who, you know, the women who have been assaulted, toward the administration even, and what had had not been done or what had been done that contributed to, if you will, a, a culture around the football program in particular that may have exacerbated this or or allowed it to happen. And I feel like what she was telling me was her anger then became displaced. You know, her anger is at people who are saying, oh, I wouldn't send my kid to Baylor um, because or my, my daughter specifically so she's angry at those comments because she's angry at what's happened at her school. If that, you know, did she express herself well? No, I don't think she could have expressed herself much worse. But that's what yeah. she shared with me, and then that's what I wrote in a story. She did express remorse for how it came across, particularly the, the remark, you should knock them in the face. So I think she said that was a terrible choice of words. Um, yeah. But then... You know, that's so that's what you're you know, that that's what we heard, though. That's what everybody heard. So I gave her a chance to at least say, hey, this is what I what I was really feeling. Yeah. What she said to you in that article, and I quote, knock them in the face comment was not literal um, and that her postgame remarks, quote, did not express exactly what I was trying to say. Um, going on, Kimoki said, I was trying to make a point to be firm in what you are saying back at them. I'm not a violent person. I apologize for the very poor choice in words. And um, she went on to say, not only do I sympathize with victims, I am angry about the way victims were treated at this university. Quote, it was ho- it, it's a horrible, horrible anytime someone does not take care of a victim, even one sexual assault is too many. Um, and you know, that my reaction, honestly, and people know that follow me, I I love Kim Mulkey. I'm just a, I'm a Mulkey fan and I'm not saying I, I love everything about her. I love the way she coaches and all my interactions with her have been positive, but Kim was wrong. She was wrong in what she, the way she went about expressing herself. And in my opinion, she was wrong um, for not express for not expressing more sympathy or empathy for these victims or alleged victims or you know just these women. I mean, I thought obviously inciting violence, saying knock someone in the face, you never do that. But even beyond that, just not showing more compassion for what is what sounds like you know if if everything is true in these allegations was a horrible horrible. Um, situation for the victims, for the people on this campus, if, if some of the cover-up situations are true. So if anything, and, I, and I'm glad you, number one, are part of this sport because you went back, you talked to Kim. Um, she was allowed to uh, express her regret in her comments, which I think is important on so many levels. I mean, she's a leader in sport. She's a woman leader in, in, in sport and, in, you know, in, in our world. So, um, and that doesn't erase the damage that was initially done, but it's good to see her go back and say, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry that this happened. And to really express more um, awareness. Where do we go from here, though, uh, is my question. And what are going to be the impacts of, of what Kim has said and on her program and just in general, Michelle? I think there's sort of two tracks um, to look at here. One is how how Kim goes forward, because, 
last night after uh, I'm actually referring to Monday night after uh, Baylor beat Oklahoma, there were a lot of questions. There were reporters there asking these same things, and Kim kept referring to my article in particular, saying, "Read that." I don't think that was the the best way to handle it. I think she should have, if, if she wasn't comfortable speaking off the cuff about this, which I could understand. I think she should have had a statement prepared where she said a lot of the same things that she said to me about remorse for the way that her comments came across and then about her empathy uh, for the victims of what happened there and about her work, you know, on her campus to, you know, to to try to have more awareness about this, to to, if there is a a culture that she would was challenging this and, and working at it, which I think she is. So I, I think that was a mistake in how she goes forward in that we'll have to we'll have to watch because she's got a very good team. Uh they're they're gonna continue to be in the spotlight. They're uh you know, gonna be a number one seed almost certainly. On the other track though, to me is a an issue that we really should talk about more going forward. And and I don't mean just Kim, but the entirety of, of women's basketball or even women's sports, which is we have people on all our campuses across the, the country who work every day at empowering their female athletes. Those are men and women, and that's what they work at. How much do they feel empowered to speak out on their campuses against some of the things that happen with other athletic programs on their campus? Mm. For instance, if something happens at a, you know, at a, you know, a, a, a Connecticut does Gino Oriam, as powerful as he is, is he going to say something that could be perceived as negative about Connecticut? Would Sherry Cole say something perceived negative about Oklahoma or Don Staley at South Carolina or Muffet McGraw at Notre Dame or Tara Vanderveer at Stanford? Do any of those coaches feel like, hey, I need to speak out specifically as a leader of young women and I need to know who the victim advocates are on our campus? I would imagine there are some coaches that are very good at that and probably have done that, and others who are would say, hey, I don't feel comfortable. I, I can't challenge the football program. I can't say anything that would be perceived as negative about my school, even if I want to speak out. And I think that's opening the door to a bigger conversation with China and one that even we in the media are involved in, which is how do we take all the positive energy of empowerment, and self-confidence that we see sports gives young women and then make that reach over toward young women who've been victimized on the campus, who might not be athletes, who might not have anything to do with athletics, yet you would hope could be empowered, could feel embraced by the, the positive energy and the positive role models that are in women's athletics. That's a great point, Michelle, and that is just a fantastic point because I'm a sociology major and, you know, the the elevation that athletics has on a campus is real, you know, the where the football program is and where the men's basketball program is and even where the women's basketball program is in terms of, you're right, the leaders, the voices. I mean, I didn't feel like I had a voice until I touched the basketball court. As a young woman, I, I wouldn't have said a word um, to you prior to basketball, but after I started playing and found my voice and felt comfortable with myself and was taught to speak and that communication was a good thing, all of a sudden you can't shut me up. I mean, I'm, I'm that's why I have a podcast. So <laughs> I think you're absolutely right in that. How can we capture some of that and, and spread it across campus? But not only that, but how can you bring some leverage on campus to where, um, the, the campus community in the athletics community, you know, that victims don't feel like they could never speak out against athletics because that's just the untouchable force or, you know, that, like you said, that power that the women have in athletics is untouchable or something that's so far fetched from where I am, maybe in my day to day. And I'm not saying this is what happens on every campus or every situation or that, you know, just regular students are that much different or, you know, whatever, non-athletic students, I guess I should say. But it is a conversation I think that needs to be had because you and I both know the real story is athletics is brings a lot of money to campuses. There's a lot of status there. So how do you go about 
moving around the dynamics that are created when crises like this happens. And you're right for recruiting for for Sherry Cole or for Gino or for or for Kim Mulkey. How how does that happen? You know, how does maybe if if a student athlete is, is victimized, how do they feel speaking out against another program that may on campus um, seem untouchable? So that's a good point. And, 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 and I just want to make the point to people listening. We're not talking about Baylor. This is just in general and, and collegiate athletics. Go ahead, Michelle. Yeah, Sorry. I, th- I think that's exactly exactly right. And and the idea that, you know, everybody is in their bubble, that there's there there's some truth to that. And you'll and coaches may say, look, I'm just, you know, there's that, that phrase. I'm just staying in my lane. But I think when you have powerful people on campus whose job at least ideally, is about more than just winning basketball games. It's about empowerment for women, but it's also about educating men because that's the other part of this. It's a, it's There's a tragedy here in that you have athletes who came to a campus and became, you know, and, and committed crimes. And so how how do you take the outreach to the entire athletic department? And having the the strong voices of of young women who are athletes, and maybe as you said, have found their voice through being athletes. It's helped them. Um, you know, do they, they? They probably, and you could address this. Being a, a former student athlete, they may have conversations personally with people um, in other sports. But maybe how do you make that a, a more formal thing? And then how do you take the strongest voices? For, for women or for women's athletics, again, both male and female, the people who are empowering women athletes and have them be voices that are victim advocates and, and advancing this topic. There may be coaches who say, look, I got all I can do just so, you know, X's and O's and recruiting and whatever. And, and, I, and my response to that is I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that's the answer. You know, the answer is you're a leader on your campus this is a huge issue on your campus and particularly impacting young women who go to school on your campus. If Kim Mulkey had said, let's say after the game, she feels very emotional and she said a lot of things have gone on here and it's been, and it's been very difficult for all of us, but I want to assure you that I'm completely empathetic with victims. I want that. I don't want this, that culture to be on our campus. I want, everybody to be proud of going to bail. I mean, that would be a really different message than the message yeah. she sent. But it would be, a, I think, accomplishing the same thing, which is to say, I'm proud of my school and I want people to to feel safe coming here. But the way she delivered it was so completely the other direction. And part of that's emotion and part of that is maybe not thinking beforehand about her choice of words. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a conversation that I hope continues to happen. And Michelle, thank you so much for shining light on this and for your investigative work and for also uh, reaching out to Kim Mulkey, because as we've learned in recent weeks, both sides of the story um, are, are very important to have and digging a little further into things is important as well. So thank you so much for your time. I promise next time we have you on, we're going to talk about basketball. So <laughs> but thank you so time. much. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you for your time, Michelle. Fans, stay right where you are in the second half of the show, third quarter. We are going to talk the not power five. So we are talking about some other conferences across women's basketball that you need to have your eyes on during conference championships. And we also have the fourth quarter coming for you. We will talk about ESPN coverage. Stay where you are. Third quarter scouting report. Fans, 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 do we have something special for you in this episode of Around the Rim? We talk a lot about the top 25. We talk a lot about the Power Five conferences. Well, we decided it was about time that we start to spread the love. That's right. We are bringing you a wealth of information and depth on some of the other conferences that you don't hear much about because what is it? It's champ week. It's conference tournament time. So we are learning more about the teams that 
have an opportunity to appear in the NCAA tournament, we will also be hearing some from some of the other voices of women's basketball. Y'all get tired of hearing from me. I already know. Um, so we are bringing in some of the young and fresh and impressive minds who are working as basketball analysts across the board in our game. And without further delay, I want to introduce Around the Rim fans to a young lady who is not only knowledgeable in her game of women's basketball, but she is from the A, and I mean the ATL, represents them well in all facets of who she is. She's a huge Falcons fan. We won't get into that. She's also a former Florida State Seminole. Yes, right. She used to ball for Sue Samurai of Florida State. Join me in welcoming the one and the only Angel Gray. Welcome to the show, Angel. <laughs> well, Latina, I think that no one can top you when it comes to intro, so I'll slide you a little check later, so. That was very <laughs> impressive. But you didn't have to bring up the Falcons just quite yet. Oh, still sorry. Still in the morning. I, I know. I know. The Hawks aren't doing that well right now either. But that's okay. We'll talk about all that at a later time. Right. Um, Angel, you've been fantastic in your coverage of women's basketball. We're excited to have your voice on our show. For fans that don't know, again, Angel played at Florida State, and she has been – let me tell you all, she's a veteran in the, in the broadcasting game. So she's not a new face. She is young and fresh. I'll keep that part. But um, she's definitely a veteran in the game of, of analysts. And, um, Angel, we're excited to have you. We enjoy you on, obviously, WNBA. You had a fantastic season there with NBA TV and also with Bob and I on the Dream. So let's talk some college basketball. Um, the Summit League, which is yes. a league I'm learning more and more about. Right. Tournament, March 4th, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's on the bucket list. Right yeah. now, Western Illinois and IUPUI are the headliners. What can we expect uh, for the conference tournament from the Summit League? Well, I think that with this league, you just have to understand that this is one of the, the tournaments where whoever gets the chip gets to go to the dance. So everyone, everything is out on the line. But one thing that I'm looking for is the consistency towards the end of the season. And what Western Illinois has been able to do is go on a win streak of eight games. Now, IUPUI has won five straight as well. But Western Illinois has really done a good job, as we said, all throughout the season, and they've been very, very balanced. Emily Clemens, who's not only leading the team in scoring, but also the league with about 19 points and seven assists. Also, Morgan Bloomer, third in the conference in scoring at about 16.8 and shooting about 40% from the three-point line. Now, Western Illinois is very good, 23-6, and 13-3 in the conference. But the one thing that I do like about IUPUI, they're 12-4 and four in conference, but they did pick up a really key win at the beginning of the season against Purdue. That's Big Ten. And, big, of course, for Purdue, they did hit their stride later in the season. But what I do like about IUPUI is they only lost one game in February. So that's very big. They're led by Daniel Lawrence as well as Mikhail Rogers. So two, two players for them. They had that inside-out one-two punch with those two players. So it'll be exciting to see them uh, go head-to-head. I don't think there'll be any upsets, but I do want to say for here, look out for South Dakota State. South Dakota State beat Western Illinois and IUPUI already during the season. So if they come up against them, that would be very monumental for them in the tournament time. As you know, as everyone else knows, it's March Madness for a reason. You just need one win, and I think that's one team you want to look out for. I told y'all that girl was sharp. I mean, the run <laughs> down of the run down. Okay, okay, okay. So check your box on the Summit League. Um, that is the scoop. And you're absolutely right about South Dakota State. I never sleep on them because they are right. they have the reputation to knock off some big dogs. So we will definitely be keeping our eyes on the Summit League. Now, you'll also be covering uh, the A-10. Now, they've already had the first round on campus sites for the A-10. Um, right. March 3rd will start the run at Richmond Coliseum. Right now, Dayton is the number one seed. George Washington, the fighting Rosati's are in the mix there. Um, what are you expecting from the A-10 conference? I think that's going to be a big toss-up. But the one thing that is different from the Summit League is that they are predicted right now by Charlie Cream to take two. So what are you trying to do now? You're trying to push yourself in a position, if you are that lower seed, to knock and get, get in a position to play them but also knock them off. I think they've been so consistent, both teams, throughout the season. George Washington looking to go for – 
a three-peat, basically, for the A-10. And then also for Dayton, this, they do have the number one seed with the tiebreaker over George Washington. But one thing that I do like about Dayton is that they have beat Texas A&M. They have put together a really strong conference, a non-conference schedule um, that's been very impressive. They played Wisconsin. They played Connecticut. They also played Winnipeg, who is going to be the world well, is the regular season champion for the MAC tournament as well. So they have a couple of key games that has prepared them for postseason play, and then also for George Washington, Lexi Martin's Carol Washington, Hannah Scheib, three players that are averaging in the double figures, and then also for Hannah. She is a defender that leads the team in still. She has stepped up tremendously, and they are also on a seven-game winning streak, won their third straight regular season title, 16th in program history. So there's a lot on the line here, a lot of history. Um, but both teams know how to win. Both are led by great um, juniors and seniors for their team. So it's going to be very interesting. The one team, and I know that you wanted to say this before, but – if you want to look out for somebody, I would say St. Louis is a team to watch. They do have the player of the year with Kemp, and she has been remarkable throughout the entire season. So that's one team you want to keep your eye out on. And then obviously for those um, championships, they will be on ESPNU for both uh, Summit League and A-10. Nice. ESPNU, that's right. You got the scoop from Angel, and you're absolutely right about, you know, the fact that the A-10 is projected to get two teams. At least you can take a deep breath. My heart breaks. I mean, (laughs) breaks for these leagues where you only get one shot. I mean, and I've been a part of covering some tournaments um, where there's one spot, uh, you know, for the team that's going, and that is – that's tough if that team gets knocked off. If it's the number one seed and they're expected to win and go to the NCAA tournament and then they get upset and then someone else gets to go and you know you're not going to get an at-large bid, that is tough because a whole season full of work comes down to one conference tournament. I mean, we've all had a bad weekend, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you have right. a bad weekend and all the work you've done all year in the one big league. You know, obviously, like you said, A-10 expected to get two, but – that's the heartbreaker as far as the NCAA tournament. Angel, you have been outstanding as always, well-researched, well-knowledgeable. Where can the fans follow you, social media and otherwise, um, to check out your work? Okay, well, on um, <laughs> on Instagram, it is Miss Angel Gray. Keep it very, very simple. And then also for Twitter, Angel underscore Gray with an A1. So, yeah, just Follow me there. And then, Latina, I just want to say this to you. Thank you so much for uh, leading us youth and showing us the way and showing us how to be very into our game and then also the research that it takes in order to really shine a light on so much talent that we have in this league across the, across the board. Girl, you are blessed from above. You got favor of the <laughs> Lord, okay, all your life. I would I would love to take a little shine, but that is all him. You have grown <laughs> so much. I'm so proud of you. Continue to do what you're doing for women's basketball. We need it. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. And we'll be watching you in the NCAA tournament, right? You'll be an analyst in the tournament. Yes, ma'am. First and second round, so I'm crossing my fingers. I do have a couple of places I want to go, but, you know, as you said, <laughs> that's his decision. <laughs> Congratulations so much. Well-deserved, and we'll be watching you, girl. Keep shining. Thanks, Latina. Thanks for having me on. Fans, right now we are going to welcome into the show yet another bright and shining basketball analyst out here in the game doing her thing. Please join me in welcoming to the show Julianne Viani. Welcome, Julianne. Hello, Latina. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's it's great. I, I, I watch your show. It's always a lot of fun and, and informative. Well, thank you so much. We've been watching you as well, and we know you are doing men's college basketball, women's college basketball, NBA. You are rocking and rolling, so congrats to all of that. And, you know, we wanted to give the fans just a a different perspective, a voice that they need to get to know because, girl, you're going to be working quite a bit, it looks like, in this industry. And uh, so, yes, fans, this is Julianne, and let's not sleep on the hoop game either because she was a baller at Marist, a standout player there. So, (laughs) Uh, let's start there, Julianne. Just quickly, what is going on in the MAAC? We're going to differentiate the two. There's two Macs we'll talk about, but your old stomping grounds. Um, how, what's going on in the league, and who do you expect to win it? Well, you know what? It's been an interesting season in the MAC, we like to call it, <laughs> um, because uh, last last year Iona upset Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac has kind of been the lead horse the last couple of years. Marist. 
as a lot of people know, my former team used to win it. We had like a 10-year period there where we won it every year. But yeah. currently, Quinnipiac's number one. Um, but they're a little bit of a different team this year. They, you know, Trisha Fabry's a great coach. The team's not offensively quite as good as they were in years past. So I think there's some holes there. But they're still number one. They've won the regular season title but a more defensive-minded group. Uh, and they don't have anyone really averaging double figures. It's pretty amazing. They do it as, as a whole. The team that really stood out to me in that conference has been Ryder. They've been the biggest surprise and jumped from years past. Uh, they clinched the first round by Lynn Milligan. She's got a real veteran team, and one player to really look for on that team is Robin Perkins. She's been incredible. But uh, that conference has had a lot of parity this season. Maris is kind of in the middle of the pack this year. So, uh, and Iona's tough. Iona won it last year. So, I mean, they're the most athletic team in that conference. But it's a little more wide open this season. Yeah, sounds like it's going to be a fun one. And I am ready for Maris to make that jump. I'm used to you guys being Red Foxes right up there at the top. So I know any moment now uh, we can see you guys back in the top slot. And, you know, it's interesting, just for the Connecticut people listening, I did cover Quinnipiac in the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what I had to practice. It's not Quinnipiac, it's Quinnipiac. So um, I don't right. want anybody <laughs> tweeting me because the me and Julian – Right. Julianne and I got that right, so don't tweet us. Um, Let's move on to the (laughs) other MAC that starts on March 6th um, at Quicken Loans Arena in Central Michigan. And Ball State looks like they'll be rolling. What do you expect to see in the MAC tournament? It should be interesting. You know, Ball State is now tied for first in the MAC with Kent State after just beating Central Michigan on Saturday, which which was a bit of an upset. And uh, Renee Bennett leads that team, and she's fifth in the conference in scoring. They've also got Mariah Monaco to keep an eye on, and that's a hit, that's a fifth year head coach. And um, it's 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 interesting. They've had back to back twenty twenty win seasons, which uh, it's it's they've had an incredible time there. But they get that first round bye. So Ball State, I think, uh, is somebody that, to really keep an eye on. But of course, Kent State has been good. Uh, too. So I think those are the two teams. And Kent State's got that Larissa Lurkin player who's incredible. She leads the conference in points. And she dropped 28 against Akron on Saturday. But that was a close game against Akron. They barely beat them, 73-69. So, uh, and, and Akron is uh, at the bottom of the conference. <laughs> so that's wow. a bottom team playing a top team. So this conference kind of intrigues me a little bit. And last year's champion was number eight seeded Buffalo. They upset Central Michigan, the two seed on a buzzer beater yes. in overtime, and that that was incredible. If you guys remember that, so yeah. the first ever MAC championship for them, and it was the lowest seed in history. So this is a, this is also an open conference. We, we will see. We will keep our eyes on Central Michigan, Ball State. But like you said, you never know. Kent State as well. You will have all the coverage there. And then, last but not least. The Patriot League starting March 4th, and I believe it's campus sites, but Bucknell and Navy look like they're in charge there. Who do you expect to pull it out? Yeah, I mean, Bucknell's been amazing. They, they're the regular season champion, obviously, So, and they're on a six-game winning streak. Uh, they've got some players. They've got a few players averaging in double figures, three of them, and the fourth one is just barely shy of it. So I, I do like Bucknell a lot. Last year, Army won it. But they graduated a ton of scoring. If you remember Kelsey Minato, she was incredible, pretty pretty well-known nationally for her scoring. But I really like Navy. I, I mean, I've seen Navy a few times this year, and I think that they're a team that uh, is just hungry. And they're a veteran team. They've got Sarita Condi, who's been so clutch all season. And it's a scary team that can shoot the heck out of the ball. They're leading the league in three-point percentage. So I think that they – could give Bucknell a hard time uh, in the final. But Bucknell is leading the way. And then third comes Army, who they've got the leading scorer in the league on their team, Madison Hovren. Uh, but they don't have nearly the weapons they've had in the past. But uh, the Army-Navy battles this season have been pretty fun to watch, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Navy's come up on top. 
Well, that is going to be a fun one to watch as well. And I think you're right. I, I, I'm always cheering for Navy and Army. You know, just I'm, I'm all about the service. And I know that has nothing to do with yeah. the basketball court, but I'm a little bit partial to that. Um, congratulations as well. Uh, thanks for those recaps. Congratulations also on covering the NCAA tournament. We will be looking for you there and your coverage as an analyst. Where can fans find you on social media, Twitter, Instagram? Where can we keep up with Julianne? Uh, well, on Twitter, I'm just easy, at Julianne Viani, just my name, and then Instagram, um, at jviani3. So, yeah, you can follow me on those two two, two sites, and uh, I'll, I'll be posted away, as you know. That's how we roll. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time, and we will be keeping our eyes on those conferences, your coverage. Thank you so much for everything you do for the game, Julianne. Oh, and thank you, too, for everything you do. You've been awesome, so we appreciate it. Fans, we are rolling, continuing the conversation around conference tournaments. And right now, we have another star analyst in the game of women's basketball. She used to be a star player at Florida, but um, and she still actually looks like she could get out there and kick some butt. She's in incredible shape. So welcome to the show, Steffi Sorensen. Welcome, Steffi. Thank you, LaChina, and thank you for having me. I feel uh, very fortunate to be on your show. I love it. I'm a huge fan of it. Oh, well, awesome. We, girl, this won't be your first time. You should have yeah, said girl. that because we're going to have you back. <laughs> so I'm we know that you're going to get a workout in. Sorry, you go ahead. Uh, I'm ready for us no. to get a workout in whenever you want. Uh, no, girl, that's that's not going to happen. I mean, I could just tell you this. There's some things I, I don't like to say or never. I will never be on your level when it comes to working out. Like, never. It's not even physically impossible. Um, so <laughs> we know never you have <laughs> we know you have the full tilt on the SEC. So we're probably going to end up bringing you back quite a bit um, during tournament coverage and maybe even after the SEC tournament. Uh, but for the purposes of what we're doing here, also NCA tournament too, congratulations as well on, oh, on that piece. Um, but today we're going to talk about Sunbelt. That's in beautiful New Orleans. It starts on March 7th. And I know there's still some things to be decided, but it looks like Arkansas mm-hmm. Little Rock and UT Arlington could be the favorites. What do you know about the Sunbelt? Um, this is uh, my third year covering it, and it, it does take place in New Orleans, and who doesn't want to spend a week there? So right. It's, uh, it's, always, <laughs> it's a really good time, and they're, it's, they've got – well, China, they have great coaches. I mean, Joe Foley, he's probably the you know most down-to-earth guy, got over 700 wins. And uh, Krista Gerlich for UT Arlington, she played with Cheryl Swoops at Texas Tech, won a national title. Yep. And, um, you know – I think Little Rock right now has to be the favorite. They've only lost one game in conference play. But the thing that's impressed me the most about them is the way that they play their non-conference. They went out and played Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, LSU. And when you're, you know, you're going out and you're challenging yourself like that, that's why I think, you know, they've gone 15-1 in their conference. And granted, they do play Troy to close the season, and Troy is who beat them last year in overtime to go to the NCAA tournament. I think that Little Rock is the favorite by far. If there was a dark horse or either a team or a player that you think could turn the tides of what the expectation is in this league, who would that be, team or player? Ooh, uh, I think someone who has, who has a lot to prove right now is uh, Caitlin Ramirez from Troy. Troy won the tournament last year, and Caitlin Ramirez is a type of player. Uh, Drew Filios and I call the Sun Belt, and we call her kind of the Bill Lambier. Like, she'll go out there, take charges, <laughs> swap, you know, she'll take, do some flopping, but then go down and hit a three. She's a stretch four. She also plays a five. And she's had some up and downs this season, but Troy is a team uh, right now. They're 11 and five in the conference, but they, they play with such chaos. Coach Rigby, uh, she coached in junior college when I played a year of junior college, so we go back a little bit. She kind of brings that to Troy. And uh, it's a team that if they get going with China, they hit their shots. I think that they could be a dark horse, even uh, even though that Little Rock's only lost one game right now in conference play. Andy Landers just came up to me. Andy, bring you, bring that Mountain Dew and go get on out of here. <laughs> Coach Landers, <laughs> tell Coach him we Landers said hello. <laughs> tell him we I'm said we love, An- China. We love she, she Andy. We love Andy Land. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> they love Andy Land. Love he loves you. So there we go. Family affair here. Awesome. I was going to say, you guys are going to have a blast. Before we let you go, um, tell the fans where they can find you on Twitter, social media. How can they keep up with you during conferences and in the NCAA tournament? 
Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Steffi Sorensen and uh, Instagram at Steffi underscore Sorensen. I'll be tweeting and Instagramming as I'm doing the full SEC tournament and the full Sun Belt. So I am rocking and rolling the next uh, two weeks, Lachina. So uh, thank you for having me on, though. It's going to be a, a fantastic march for sure. Awesome. We are looking forward to your coverage, and we will have you back on to talk SEC. Have fun down there, and tell Pam and Gail and Maria and Nell and everyone I said hello. <laughs> I will. I will. Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Thanks, Steffi. Fans, I know I probably say this every week, and y'all are going to bust my chops for this, but we have one of my favorite people in the entire world, not just basketball world, but all of the land on this podcast with us right now. Wherever you are, I want you to stand up and clap your hands for Christy Winter Scott. Welcome to the show, Christy. <laughs> oh, that was so sweet. Hey, Liz China, it's my pleasure, and I'm honored to be involved. You know, you have such a wonderful voice for women's basketball, so anything I can do to, to help you in your cause, I am there for you. So I appreciate well, you. We are just all following in your footsteps. For fans that don't know, Christy was a baller at Maryland. First of all, she played at South Lakes. Let's go back because we're both DMV girls. <laughs> um, she's now the head coach of the South Lakes women's basketball team there. And then she is, she went to Maryland, played for Chris Weller. So I wanted to be Christy Winter Scott, but I couldn't get to where she was playing wise or in any other area. So I just settled for a part B. Uh, people tell me I look like Christy every once in a while. That makes me feel good. But anyway, now Christy is an analyst as well as a mom. She wears tons of hats. But we have you on the show, Christy, not to talk Big Ten. We're going to get to them next week. Today we're okay. talking about some of the other conferences that don't get a lot of shine. And I know you'll be a little bit of everywhere during conference tournaments, during NCAA. So let's start with the MEAC, which will be held in Norfolk at the Scope. Um, and I know right now Bethune-Cookman is in, in that top spot, but Howard, coached by Ty Grace, is is creeping along as well. Who do you expect to win the league? Well, you know what? I love the way that Bethune-Cookman has played, especially as of late. They recently beat North Carolina A&T for the first time in program history on the road in Greensboro. So Vanessa Blair-Lewis, who is actually my second cousin, who people say that I look like, so we all must be so related all three of us, but with her, her ability to, you know, get her team to play at that level and be 100% consistent. They have one more game on Thursday to close out the MEAC regular season, but the way they were able to go to Greensboro and beat the reigning MEAC champs, that was impressive to me. So I'm all for momentum at the end of the season. The regular season, sometimes you don't get out of the gates quickly, even though they only have one loss. But if you have momentum carrying you through to the end of the season and into conference tournament play, I think that really does a lot for the psyche of not just the players, but the coaches as well. They're trusting and believing that they're on the right page, but Howard and Hampton are right on their heels, and I think it's going to be a great challenge for them. And North Carolina and you can never count them out either, considering what they did last year in winning the championship in Hampton. So I think it's going to be exciting, no question about it, next week at the Scope. Yeah, North Carolina A&T, that was a beautiful run they had last year. But you're right about Hampton. David Six, one of the most underrated coaches in America, um, always has Hampton poison ready. And I think I'll be joining you for a segment of that. So the VA girls <clears throat> will be in Norfolk, VA. Now, moving on to a little further north and a little bit colder to Maine. Um, you will be covering America East. Shout out to Amy Hugtausen, the commissioner there, as well as the associate commissioner, Shauna Brown, who does a lot of work on... On the um, well did on the women's basketball committee she's now done serving her term but shout out to two of my favorite people but you'll be in Portland Maine for the at the cross insurance arena March 4th um, New Hampshire's in the top spot but Albany um, the Great Danes under new leadership look like they're creeping up as well what are you expecting at the America East Conference well you have a player at Albany and Imani Tate who has just had a fantastic season just under 20 points a game for her but you have New Hampshire, who has had one of the best years in program history. They're going into the tournament starting on the fourth as a one seed. So the way they've been able to just connect victories one after the next, that's really been impressive to watch as well. And, and Carly Pogue 
I mean, she had 31 points and nine boards against UMBC, so she's clicking and playing with a ton of confidence. But New Hampshire, they're 25-4. and four. So, again, a momentum kind of team that's really pushing forward. And I'll actually be there on the 10th to do the championship game because I'll be in Hampton down there with you and, uh, next week for the MEAC first. And then I'll be at the championship on that Friday, the 10th. So I'm anxious to see who else comes out of the America East. But right now, I mean, New Hampshire, the way they've been playing, I just think it's been uh, very impressive. And Maureen McGarity, the head coach, she's been phenomenal this year and very gracious in the way her team has been winning. And people have been congratulating her and she puts it right back to the kids. And that's what good coaches do. She has her team prepared and they're right there doing everything she's asking of them in terms of execution. That is outstanding, and you're absolutely right. I love the way you give us that coach's perspective, like, you know, how it's coming together, how it's working. I love it, love it, because let's not forget, not only did you play at Maryland, you also coached at Maryland. Um, I got recruited there for like five minutes, and then Christy dropped me. Oh, um, no, and then <laughs> Shots fired. I was trying. I was trying. It's okay. No, I would have dropped me too. And then um, no, you no, also coached at Georgetown. Yes, <laughs> I just yes, wanted to get. Yes. I wanted to give. Co- I wanted to give people the the coaching cred- credentials. Okay. Last but not least, um, we want to talk col- the colonial. Um, yeah. And I know for a number for. Let me just say this. Elon, our girl Charlotte Smith, who no, if you don't yes. know that name, Charlotte Smith, standout player from Carolina, hit the three-pointer that won them the national championship, has had an outstanding season. She's got a group of seniors, including Joanne P. McCauley's daughter, Maddie, who plays there. Um, they've had 20-plus wins. They're in that top spot, expected to win it all. But you also have James Madison and Precious Hall. What do you right. see happening at the conference tournament? Well, I just think the CAA, especially the last week, has just been topsy-turvy in terms of upsets. William & Mary just beat James Madison a couple of days ago, and then Elon just had a, a buzzer-beating win with like three seconds to go against Towson, and Towson is, is at the bottom, so it, you never know what's going to happen, and, and that's what these conference tournaments are all about. Everyone's trying to play their best basketball at this time of the season, but Charlotte Smith, I'm telling you, and I'm not just saying this because that's our girl, she gives me chills when she speaks she has such a presence and a spirit yes and it resonates through her team and i told her that i had them at the preseason coverage and just the way she articulates her purpose articulates her expectations for her team that to me is more special than her wins and losses she reaches those kids and they're proving it on the court that you know whatever she tells them they know that it works she hit that shot in 94 for that championship they trust and believe that she's been there, done that, and they are so open to her coaching and instruction. And it's just a treat for me to be able to see them do so well. So I'll be at the CAA tournament for the semifinals and the championship down at James Madison this year. It had been up here in Maryland, but now it's, it's down there. So it's going to be a great atmosphere. You can never count out James Madison. And, you know, Jenny Brooks did a terrific job in terms of of making uh, that program what it is, and it's carried on to the next level now that he's at Virginia Tech. But, you know, the fan support has always been incredible, and I know it's going to be an exciting atmosphere. But Elon, you've got to watch out for them. They're right there at the top. But JMU at home, that's a tough team to beat, too. We can't wait. We can't wait. Now, Christy, um, let the fans know who want to follow you throughout the tournament. What's your Twitter, Instagram? Again, Christy will also be covering the Big Ten. Lots of wonderful things going on there. We'll have you back on the show for that. Um, NCAA tournament. But where can they follow you on social media and keep up with you? Well, I'm always on Twitter. It's like I, I love it. Um, Instagram, too. It's the same name, same tag. It's Christy, C-H-R-S-T-Y-W. Scott 5-1 and that's my tag and you can find me all over the place and I will be um, in Indianapolis I'm flying out tonight so the game starts tomorrow and super excited for that and you never know what's going to happen with that either it's been a topsy-turvy year in women's basketball as a whole but Big Ten is definitely going to be exciting in Indy and we love it topsy-turvy Christy thank you so (laughs) much good luck have fun in Indy and uh, we will definitely be talking to you again soon thank you so much for your time I appreciate you so much love you lots and good luck love you too everything that you're doing 
fans. We are rocking and rolling. We are working in conferences. We're talking women's basketball. We got the dope analysts on the show today. And uh, without further delay, we are welcoming yet another voice in the game of women's basketball who is, yes, she's a great analyst, but she's also a very good person and a dear friend of mine. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Megan Perry. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you, China. Thank you. You're so, so kind to that introduction. <laughs> Girl, you're the bomb. So um, for those that don't know, Megan did play college basketball at Cornell. And it's so interesting because she's actually going to cover the Ivy League for us. But um, Megan worked for, what, seven years at the WNBA office? Is that right? Yeah, actually eight. I just closed out eight years with the WNBA, the league office. That's right. Yes. Wow. So she did everything. If I had to make a list, it would be very long. But my interactions were with Megan were during the draft where she did all the organizing, player personnel stuff. She also did a ton of scouting, helping the league to get ready for the draft. So she's been watching a lot of these players over the years and knows them on both college and, and professional level very well. Um, and now is an analyst. So that's why we have Megan on the show. She is going to give up us the scoop on the Ivy League tournament where Megan will be the semifinals will be the semifinals and the finals will be at the Palestra um, and I believe it starts March 11th so Megan um, I'm looking at number one and number two right now and I see Penn and Princeton I don't see Cornell but give us the scoop on what's happening in the Ivy League well first of all I want to say thank you so much for having me on and shining a light on Ivy League basketball because you know that's near and dear to my heart um, but we'll get to it. what's going on with the Ivy League. We see Penn right now, the Quakers, they're the defending Ivy League champions, and they are ranked number one, and they have clinched a spot in the Ivy League tournament. Um, and right behind them is Princeton at 8-3. and three. They also have clinched a spot. And then there are some teams that are still on the bubble with a lot still to be decided. I'll just share uh, most immediately Harvard right now in the third spot, and my Cornell Big Red are holding down that fourth spot. And behind nice. them, five and six, Brown and Yale are tied. So a lot of things can still happen, a lot of shakeups still uh, in the Ivy League play to come over the next weekend and then another game um, the Tuesday, actually, March 7th, before tournament play. So what do you think really stands out to you about Penn? Um, like, do you think they totally are in control, or do you think Princeton has a shot of, of knocking them down for that top spot? Well, I think it's very interesting because there's so much parity in the Ivy League, but I'll say right now the Penn Quakers, they've been dominant in conference play for the most part this season. They only have one blemish on their record thus far, and that was a road loss recently against Yale. Um, but I think what's so impressive about about um, excuse me about Penn is that they actually spend a lot of time preparing for the conference play with their very competitive non-conference schedule. They played two teams that were in the top 25, Duke and Temple. Um, they came out with a win against Temple, and I think that has set them up for their dominant play thus far. Um, and I would just say, China, two players to watch out for with Penn. They have a dynamic interior force in Sidney Stepanovich and Michelle Wilketty. Um, Stepanovich is your defending defensive player of the year, uh, and we know that she also is so active. She is the Ivy League all-time leader in blocks per game. Um, so she's wow. someone that's very, very fun to watch, and then a very athletic forward by her side in Michelle Wilketty. She is someone that I liken to a very raw Neka Agumake, and I say that because mm. she is just relentless. She's relentless on the glass. She plays with tremendous energy, and she has such a presence about her. So uh, two players to keep your eyes on uh, for Penn when we watch them upcoming in the tournament. I like you incorporating the WNBA in there, too. Okay, a little raw Nicola Gumake. <laughs> well, that is excellent, Megan. So we will be watching. Um, I know you will be hosting, doing some studio work all over the Ivy League. Um, but tell fans where they can find you on social media. How can they keep up with you? Because um, I know you're going to have a, little, a lot of fans after this Around the Rim episode. So where can they find Megan? Well, I'm excited. So I'm always on Twitter with China. Uh, please follow me at MissMegs42. And I will be tipping off coverage, actually, starting March 10th on the Ivy League Digital Network. Uh, we have live coverage starting with the shoot-arounds on Friday, uh, then leading into the semifinals and finals games on the 11th and 12th. Um, you can also follow the hashtag Ivy Madness for all the fun.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Megan. You were great. You're outstanding fans. Make sure you follow her again. That is Megan Perry. And we look forward to having you back on the show sometime, Megan. Thanks for China. All the best to you. <laughs> see you soon, hopefully. Have fun. Yes, hopefully see you soon. Thank you. Fans, we hope that you enjoyed hearing from some of the different voices in women's basketball. And we hope that you enjoyed the opportunity to look beyond just the teams that you would normally hear about because there are lots of wonderful teams in women's basketball. We don't always get the time on Around the Rim to talk about everyone, but we do appreciate all the teams and coaches, no matter how big, small, or tall your conference. And just want to run through a couple of other conferences really quickly to close the third quarter. Um, the Missouri Valley, Drake, top 25 team. Conference USA, Western Kentucky, Kendall Nobles, fantastic. Michelle Clark Hurd, that's the team to look out for in the Conference USA. The Horizon League, Green Bay has been on top. It'll be fun to watch and see what happens with them along the way. Uh, the Big South, Radford is a team that we will keep our eyes on. The Big West, UC Davis. I know that's not everyone, but we just wanted to send some love to some other conferences and some other teams and let you know that we are paying attention. And with that, we are headed to the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. Fans, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Around the Rim. Um, just wanted to let you know that Coverage of Champ Week, that's right, conference championships are happening, and ESPN has you covered. On Sunday, there will be four champions crowned. ESPN 2 starting 1 p.m., the ACC championship, 3 p.m., the SEC championship. Big Ten championship will be at 7 p.m., and Pac-12 will be at 9 p.m., so a day that will be loaded. And then on Monday, the American Athletic Conference will have their championship at 7 o'clock. Um, and so uh, lots of championships to watch. Also, 21 of women's title games will be on ESPN Network. So you also have America East, the Atlantic 10, Horizon, um, Ivy League, the MAAC, the Northeast Summit League, West Coast Conference. Those will be played on ESPNU. A ton of them will also be on ESPN3. So just continue to look at the schedule. Conference championship time is always exciting. Find out who is going to punch their ticket to the big dance for LaChina Robinson and my producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. We will see you next week when we'll talk about all the Power 5 championships. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.